Well, God bless you here today. I've got a, a, a subject here that I feel like God has put on my heart for us today. And you should have your hands at handouts today uh, in your hands at, by this time. And uh, I'm going to put a copy here on the screen. We'll see how it's all lining up with things. And wow, isn't that clear? Huh? Let's see if we can. There we go, and then I'll buzz in on it a little bit here and get a little closer. And our lesson today is entitled The Unborn Church. I'm going to teach a lesson tonight that I have on my heart, and I think it's in sync with all the other messages and the word that we have been hearing about what God wants to do in these last days. And I know it's a time when we know that the Lord's coming is near at hand. We know that. But at the same time, God is going to do a great work in these last days also among the people. Praise the Lord. Now, it's wonderful to come to church and praise God and worship God and glorify the Lord. But I want to talk to you about an unborn church. There's a church that's yet to be saved that's out there in the world. And I want to talk to you about that here uh, tonight. Praise the Lord. I want to start out by talking to you about the word born again. And I think most of us are familiar with this. And if you have your Bibles and will turn to this scripture with us, I'm looking here at St. John chapter 3 and verse 1. This is where uh, Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews, very intelligent man, very smart man. But he sort of slipped around because he knew that Jesus was not accepted by the other Pharisees and Sadducees to a great degree. And he didn't want to be identified with him yet. But yet he also knew that what he was doing in the light of miracles and teachings that it had to be of God. So this is what happened here in this third chapter. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night. Notice that. And said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. We know that. And then Jesus answered him like this, just out of the clear blue, without going any further, without him saying anything else. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Well, this prompted a question from Cornelius in verse 4. Cornelius, uh, Nicodemus, I mean, said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now, Jesus follows on up with that and says pretty well the same thing that he just said in verse 3 and verse 5. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of spirit, water and spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, this would prove out to be uh, baptism in water in the name of Jesus Christ for the mission of sins and being baptized with the spirit of, the, of God, which is the baptism of the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit, whichever word you want to use. And uh, it would prove out to be that because this was the message that later would be preached. And then he says in verse 7, he sort of caps it all off by saying pretty well the same thing. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must 
must, must be born again. In other words, you can't just be born in this life only, but there's a spiritual birth that you've got to be born into. So uh, he said, you must be born. I want to talk to you about the unborn church out there, out there, an unborn church. And a lot of people are surprised that I would use that term because how can it be an unborn church if it's not born again? So I want you to go with me, if you would, please, to uh, Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18. <clears throat> and this is where Paul had gone to the city of Corinth. Corinth. Corinth was a major city in those days. And uh, it was a very, a lot of traffic, a lot of people there. It was a major city of the Roman Empire. And Paul went there. And in verse 9, I'm going to pick up here now in verse 9 where we are. Let's see here. Yeah, eight, Acts 18.9. Okay. In the verse 9, Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision. Look at this. Now, Paul is in Corinth. Corinth is a city that's very much of the world, very worldly. And he's in this city. And while he's in this city, then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision. Verse 9. Be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace. In other words, I want you to declare the gospel. For I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee. That is to set on him and hold him down. To hurt thee. For I have much people in this city the lord was telling paul don't hold your peace because i've got a lot of people in this city that's yet to be born again it's an unborn church i'm going to tell all of you here and myself as well out there there's still an unborn church there's people yet to be saved god knows their heart he knows who they are he knows what they're looking for. He knows where they, what condition they are in. And he has put some responsibility on us to be concerned about that unborn church out there. And that's why he told Paul, don't sit back, don't hold back, don't be afraid, don't be intimidated, because I have much people, I have much people in this city. Praise the Lord. Now, later, Paul... I mean, he went on, the Bible goes on to say, in fact, in the next very next verses, and he continued there for a year and six months. For a year and a half, Paul preached in Corinth and established what we know as the Corinthian church. And later on, as that church began to grow and prosper and, and it became a large church in that area, Paul later would sit down and write a, a letter to that church and instruct them on some things that he felt like they needed to know and understand about living for God and serving the Lord and pleasing God. He wrote two epistles, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and they're named, of course, after him. Now, <clears throat> the reason I'm telling you that is that I want to show you here what Paul said in one of those Corinthian letters. I'm looking here then at Corinthians chapter 6, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Look at this with me very closely here. Chapter 6, verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? 
Be not deceived. Now look at all these sins he begins to name here. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate. That's people, that, men that act like women. Nor abusers of themselves with mankind. This is homosexuality. That's what that's referring to. It's spelled out in other scriptures as well. Verse 10, nor thieves, nor covetousness. He was said, don't be among this crowd nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And look at verse 11. This is where we're going. <clears throat> and such were some of you. <clears throat> Paul is saying to the Corinthian church, now remember, when you read over in the book of Acts, the Lord has said, I have much people in this city. And very hardly nobody was saved at that time. Paul was just getting there. Now, years later, several years later, he's writing to that Corinthian church and telling them more of, about how God would have them to live and what he wanted them to do and not do and so forth. And he names off some sins there. And then he says, and such were some of you. That's what you used to be. But ye are washed. But ye are sanctified. But ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus, that is, in baptism in his name, and by the Spirit of our God, which is in you, which was in them, of course. Now, I'm just trying to tell you this, to say this, that here is a people now described in the first Corinthians as the people say, but one time they were out there. I heard a fellow say here sometime back years ago, he said, you know what, it's just getting where it's just not any good sinners anymore. And it was, it, it was amusing because a sinner is a sinner, right? We're all sinners. And so we're saved by grace. But what he was meaning was that, you know, everybody that he said come to the Lord, they're coming out of raw sin out there. Well, I got news for you. God brings them from all walks of life. Some people lived a good, righteous life the best they could, the best they knew how, best they know how to do and are still doing that and there are some people that are just out there in just pure old sin but nobody knows their heart except god almighty he knows when a guy has looked woke up this morning and i would say even this very morning this morning somebody woke up looked themselves in the mirror and said i cannot go on like this i can't keep living the way i'm living I got to make a change. I got to find an answer. There's got to be an answer somewhere. And I'm just trying to tell you here today, folks, that they're out there. Praise the Lord. And that's what God wants us to be mindful of, that there is still an unborn church out there, that we're not all in the house together now, and the rapture is going to take place, you know, tomorrow or the next day. They might. It might do that. And the rapture is going to take place right away. We're just going to... Hold on and wait it until it comes. No, no, no. There is still that unborn church out there that needs to hear the gospel, and they can only hear it through what we will take to them. We will take to them. Praise the Lord. Now, I want to refer you here to a scripture that, and these scriptures are familiar to you. Those who are hungry for God. <clears throat> There's a lot of people out there hungry for God. There just are. And I want you to, Look, if you would, if you go to uh, the book of uh, Acts chapter 10. 
And you're familiar with this story. Acts chapter 10. Look at verse 1. I'm going to read these scriptures down here for you. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion. That means he was a captain over a hundred men of the band called the Italian band. He was a, he was a Gentile. He wasn't Jewish. He was a Gentile band. He was a, he was Italian. And it was said, a devout man. Well, wait a minute. This man wasn't even saved. This man wasn't a Jew. But he was hungry and devout and was trying to do the best thing he could that he might please God. You get the picture here? Look what it says about him. A devout man, the one that feared God with all his house. In other words, he told his family, you know, there's a God and God will be good to us and favor us if we'll be trying to be a righteous people. And he goes on to say, with much, which gave much alms to the people. He was a giver and helped people and prayed to God always. He's a praying man, but he's a Gentile. <clears throat> so look at the third verse. This was a good man now. He was by himself in his household. And he saw in a vision evidently about the ninth hour, which is about between two and three o'clock in the afternoon, about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. Well, wow, what an experience. And when he looked on him, he was afraid. And when said, what is it, Lord? And he said unto him, thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. Folks, let me say this today. Whatever you're praying for, keep praying. This man had been praying for a while. Whatever you're praying for, keep praying. Encourage people to pray. You say, Brother Mars, I've been praying for this. I've been praying about this. I've been praying about it. Man, nothing happens. Keep praying. It says here that it came up as a memorial before God. In other words, it just got bigger and bigger. Until God says, I'm going to have to do something about this because this guy keeps praying and seeking my face. Praise the Lord. So anyhow, this angel is saying that to him, thy prayers and thine alms come up for a memorial before God. And now send to Joppa and call for one Simon whose surname is Peter. And he lodgeth with one Simon a tanner whose house is by the seaside. <clears throat> he shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. Wait a minute. An angel from God? The angel could have told him what he wanted, what he should do. He's praying, he's seeking, Lord, God, what do I do? I want to and the angel could have come down and said, Hey, Cornelius, repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you shall be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Yeah, you can get the Holy Ghost. Just seek God and praise him, and he'll give you the Holy Ghost. The angel could have told him that, but that's not God's plan. God's plan involves you and me. See, we're not off the hook. When you're saved, you can't just lay back and say, okay, I'm saved now. If I feel like it, I'll go to the altar. If I feel like praying, I'll pray. If I feel like worshiping, I'll worship. If I don't feel like it, I won't do anything. No, 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 no. Praise the Lord. We keep on praying. We keep on seeking the Lord. We keep on going trying to seek after the things of the Lord 
and understanding that God wants to use us to reach an unborn church out there yet. You may be born again. I may be born again. But there's a church out there yet to be born again. Praise the Lord. And this is where Cornelius was. And the Lord told him that Peter will come and tell you what you got to do to be saved. Now, in the meantime, God's been dealing with Peter that the Gentiles are going to also receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I won't go into detail on it. Very interesting how God dealt with him about it and let him know that God was going to deal. And while Peter was having all this experience, those men showed up from Cornelius and said, uh, our, our master Cornelius has said for us to come and tell you and that you'd come tell us what we got to do. And so Peter went with them. He and, and, and some of the other Jews, there were about, to, there was about six or seven or eight of them. And look at verse 27. This is where that he began to talk to Cornelius. This is Peter now when he got to the house in, down in Caesarea. And uh, he went to Caesarea. Look at verse uh, 27. All right. Look at verse 27. As he talked with them, this is Peter now talking to Cornelius. As he talked with him, he went in and found many that were come together. Look at that word many. In my Bible, I've got it underlined. It wasn't just Cornelius and a handful of people. But there were many people. It was called his household. In other words, these were people, folks, that were hungry for God. They didn't know where to get the, the answer. They didn't know how to find God. They were Gentiles. They didn't know if they even had a chance to be saved. Who can tell us about God? How can we find the Lord? How can we be born again? How can we be saved? How can we have the hope of eternal life? All of these things going through their minds. And so whenever Cornelius knew that Peter was coming with the group of men that he had sent up there to get him to come down, and he knew he was on his way. He called all these people together. And there was a big crowd of them. It's a bunch of them. A household full. And it went on to say here. He found many that were come together. Now I'm going to jump over to verse 34 to save time here. 34. Verse 34 here. <clears throat> Let me go right over here. Look at 34. 34 and 35. Then Peter opened his mouth. Instead of a truth, I perceive that God is no respect of persons. But in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with God. Because God is going to open a door and bring them in and help them to be come to him and be saved to be born again. So it's going to be people who are hungry who are looking, who are searching, that are out there, that don't know where to find the answer. And there's people that's not searching and looking and hungry, that's living out in sin. But inside their hearts, they're not happy with where they are. And they said, this can't be it. This is not where I, this is where, not where I want to be going. There's, there's people like that. When I was 16 years old, I went to a, uh, a to, to a, uh, a watch night, not a watch night service. It was a, a New Year's Eve service. It was a barn dance in Tampa, Florida. I was a teenager. I was 16 years old. I went with two uncles of mine. 
And we went there, you know, and they had this big barn dance and everybody out there dancing around, dancing around and, and everything. Like that. And tables sitting around and people ordering beer and drinks and everything like that. I was a, I played football in high school, so I didn't drink anything. I didn't drink any liquor. I didn't smoke any cigarettes. I want to keep myself clean, mainly for the sports reason. And I was in this environment, all this shouting. And the midnight hour came. The midnight hour. The 1952 was the year, in case you want to know. And the midnight, that midnight hour came. And everybody started hooping it up and shouting. And I looked around me. I just looked around at all that commotion going on, sitting there at my table, had me a Coke that I was drinking, looking around, and there was a, a service military boy that had gotten drunk, and his girlfriend was with him, and he was so drunk he had thrown up, and he was sick as he could be, as sick as a horse. And she held up his hand and said, Be happy, be happy, be happy. And he was just as, as drunk as a skunk. And I looked at that, and I looked at other people around, and a little voice inside of me said, this is not you, Myers. This is not where you belong. This is not what you want. This is not for you. Boy, it was just like a little voice inside of me. And I knew at that moment, this is not the direction I want to go. About three or four, about three months later, I went to a Pentecostal church, God dealt with my heart, called me to an altar of repentance, and I got saved. But God saw my heart, or he put something in my heart. You, you may have been the same way. I don't know. I don't know your background. I don't know what you experienced. Or you may have experienced it somehow or another that God was interested in you being his child. And just as God dealt with us about that, he's dealing with people out there like that talking to them, dealing with them, saying, this is not for you. This is not the thing you need to be involved in. So the Lord, now I'm going to show you what happened at Cornelius. While Peter's preaching, I'm going to jump to verse 44 very quickly here and show you the results here of Peter's preaching to them. This crowd had come together. They were already hungry for God. They were hungry for God. Verse 44, while Peter yet spake these words, now he had been preaching now from verse 34, 35, right on down to verse 43 and, and into verse 44. While Peter yet spake these words, preaching to them about salvation, about the Lord wanting to save them and that they could be saved and have the hope of heaven. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. All of a sudden the Holy Ghost fell on because they were hungry for God. And that's why they had showed up. And as Peter preached the word, their hearts just opened up to all that he was telling them. Because they were a yet an unborn church. And suddenly the Holy Ghost came and the Holy Ghost fell upon all of them that heard the word. Look at verse 45. And they of the circumcision, that is the Jews, which believed, that is the ones that came with Peter, were astonished. As many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. They were astonished at it. These are Gentiles, and God's pouring out the Holy Ghost on them, just like he did us. Look here, verse 46. For they heard them speak with tongues. Now, that's how they knew they had the Holy Ghost. That's the evidence of it. That's the evidence they had whenever they received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. 
That's the evidence that was being done. It's all found all through the book of Acts. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Praise the Lord. And when you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you can't help but just, just shout it with all of your heart. Just praise God and shout it out. You don't care who hears it and what they say. And just praise the Lord with all your heart. Verse, and then it says, then answered Peter, can any man forbid water? When all had died down and they had gotten all through speaking in tongues and all received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Well, they don't need the water baptism. They got the Holy Ghost already. No, no, no. Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them, commanded to be baptized in the name of the Lord. If you don't know what the name of the Lord is, it's Jesus, in case you don't know. Then prayed they him to tear his her knees. Now, I'm just pointing out to you here how that God responds to hungry hearts. Praise the Lord. He does. He responds to hungry hearts. Uh, <clears throat> I want you to go with me to, to, uh, I want you to show you Paul in Athens. Go to Acts 17. Acts 17. Let me show you something else here. This is where Paul went to the city of Athens. Athens was a city given over to a lot of idolatry. Just a lot of idolatry there. And uh, verse 17, chapter 17, verse 16. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, waited for them, he was referring to Simon, uh, Silas and Timothy. This is brought out in the 15th verse there. And uh, now while Paul waited for them, these two men, to come to Athens where he was, he was waiting for them, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Paul's heart was, oh, God, stir our hearts. God, stir our hearts. We see the world in sin. We see the world in its iniquity. Don't say, oh, I, it's too bad, push it away. I know it said, love not the world, neither things in the world, not for me to be in the world. But I want to see the people in the world get saved and come out of the world like God brought me out of the world and brought you out of the world. Praise the Lord. This is the way Paul felt. Praise God. And so while he was at there, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given over to idolatry. He just moved him. These people needed to know about Jesus. Paul couldn't hold it any longer. Finally, in verse, jumping down to verse 22, then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill. Mars Hill is just a little small place that's no bigger than half of this auditorium here that goes up. Uh, it's a hill. I've been to Mars Hill and climbed up on it and all that kind of stuff. It's right there in Athens. This is where Paul was. And he stood in the midst of Mars Hill. This is because they were doing a lot of philosophizing. Just throwing out every kind of little old story they could think of and all about the different gods that there were and who they were and all that. <clears throat> and he said, ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. He begins to preach to him. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with an inscription to the unknown God. You've got, a, you've got, a, you've got an altar here and you've got a... The statue here of an unknown God, whom therefore you ignorantly worship him, I declare unto you. Now, I'm going to tell you who this unknown God is. And then it goes on to say that uh, Paul preached unto them Jesus Christ, right on down to Jesus' crucifixion and finally his resurrection. 
Wow, that really stirred them up. Look at verse 32. Look at verse 32. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. You say, you think we're going to believe that? They walked away. Okay, that happens. And others said, we will hear thee again of this matter. Some of them said, well, we'll think about it, and maybe we'll listen to you again on this, see what it's all about. But now look at the next verse. So departed, Paul departed from them, how be it? Certain men clave unto him and believed. You understand what I'm saying here? Among that group, they didn't all just say, hey, we're going to believe what you're going to say. But there were those who did believe. And they said, we have been wanting answers to all of these crazy things that we've got going here about all of these different gods that we got serving here. How be it certain men cleave unto him and believed among uh, the which was Dionysius uh, 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 and Eropagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them, others with them. I'm just pointing that out to you that there was a whole group of them now who began to believe on the Lord. And so Athens also brought forth a church because there was people there that were hungry for God. It wasn't the whole crowd that was standing around Paul, but it was a handful of people because they were hungry in their hearts. They were unhappy with the condition they were in. And the Lord could have said to Paul, Paul, don't hold your peace. I got people in this city, too, that I know that's going to be part of this church that God has planned. Praise the Lord. So this sort of gives us an idea here how that God had groups of people here and there. Now, I want to talk to you about individuals because God deals with individuals, folks. And sometimes he wants you and I to witness to an individual. Remember that. If you'll make yourself available, and if you'll say, God, lay somebody on my heart, or God, if there's somebody that needs to hear the gospel, use me. If you will pray and ask God to use you to bring somebody to the Lord, folks, keep praying that prayer. The Lord will lead you to somebody because they're out there. They're out there. They may just be one at a time. It may not be the group thing like we see here. But there's the individuals that God sees their heart, knows their situation, and he needs somebody to go to them and tell them about the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now, I want you to look with me here in uh, the book of uh, uh, Acts chapter 8. Go to chapter 8 of of the book of uh, Acts. Acts chapter 8. I'm going to tell you what happened in chapter 8, and that is that Philip had gone down to this city, and he had preached to this city and baptized the whole city, but nobody had received the Holy Ghost yet. This was that city of Samaria, Samaria, that Jesus had gone there and witnessed to the woman at the well before, while he was still in his earthly ministry. So he had already sowed the seed there. Philip went there and preached to the pit and baptized that whole city, but nobody received the Holy Ghost. Then James and John came down. And prayed with them, laid hands on them, and they received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Praise the Lord. And right after that, right after that, I mean, a revival happening in the city of Samaria. I mean, the whole city was turning upside down. People worshiping God. People getting saved. The glory of God was happening. And the Lord 
transfers Philip away from that, right out of it. Look at verse 26. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem. This is south now, even southern, southern, way down south of Jerusalem, unto Gaza, or Gaza, which is desert. We call it the Gaza Strip there now. I want you to go down there. And he arose and went. This is Philip now, left out of a big revival. And behold, a man of Ethiopia and eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. This was this man now. He's an Ethiopian. And he'd come to Jerusalem and said, I'd heard that people are worshiping God and God is blessing and the Holy Ghost is being poured out and there's a body of believers there of some type. And he said, he went there to worship. And he hadn't found what he was looking for. Verse 28, was returning. Maybe time ran out on him. And was sitting in his chariot and was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said unto Philip, go near and join thyself to this chariot. Now here's God using one man on one man. You with me? And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, understandest what thou readest? And he said, how can I accept a man should guide me. And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. That is in his chariot. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep. This is a prophecy in Isaiah concerning Jesus Christ. And it's in the 53rd chapter. And it's verses 7 and 8 of the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. In case you want to know. That's where this comes from. And he was reading about the crucifixion of Jesus. So this man was reading about it. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and like a lamb dumb before his shears, so open not his mouth. So he's reading all of this. <clears throat> Look at verse 34. <clears throat> Saving time here. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speakest the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? Who's he talking about here? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, now he preached to him about Jesus Christ, a man hungry right by himself in a chariot, and the Lord sees the hunger of his heart and picks up Philip from way over here and brings him way over there and said, now go witness to that man. Do you understand what I'm saying here, folks? God is so interested in that unborn church out there. Some of them may be your loved ones. Some of them may be your relatives. Some of them may be a total stranger. But I'm telling you that God is in the soul-saving business. Praise God. And so he, Philip said, if thou believest, uh, verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth and began the same scripture to preach unto him Jesus. Verse 36, and as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. Uh, what's water got to do with it? Because apparently, apparently Philip was telling him he needed to be baptized in Jesus' name. That's pretty apparent here. And they came to a certain water, and the eunuch said, see, 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 here is water. 
what doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. Thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Verse 38. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they both went down into, down, both into the water. Folks, this wasn't pouring a little, sprinkling a few drops like this on their head. No, they went down in the water together, together, right down side by side. And they went to both, both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, now they had to come up out of the water. The spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. And now he was the beginning of a church and a work that would begin to grow in Ethiopia. Because when he went down to Ethiopia, he began to preach and talk and tell people down there about it, just like Philip had showed him. I'm just trying to tell you here that God, praise the Lord, is interested, folks, in individuals. He's interested in individuals. And he knows where they are. One more scripture I'm going to read to you here. This is one that, and you're familiar with these, I know that. But this is the one where... Paul and Silas were preaching in Philippi, and they and they got and they they crossed up with the magistrates and crossed up with some of the people and so forth, and so they arrested them, and uh, then they took them and whipped them. Look at verse twenty three, sixteen twenty three. Look at this verse. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, that's upon. Uh, Paul and Silas, they cast them into prison, charging, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, that he knew he had to keep them safe, because if he didn't and they got away, his life was at stake. His life would be required if they got away. Who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks so they'd not get away and he would not be lost. But there was something about this jailer who never saw maybe the light of day half the time. He and his family, that was his job, taking care of prisoners. But he never was out there on the streets knowing what's going on. But down in his heart, there was a hunger there, apparently. I'm going to show you that. And here's what happened. Verse 25, and at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. Well, thank God they just kept on worshiping God, praising the Lord anyhow, no matter what happens. Amen. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prison was shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and every man's bands were loosed, and the keeper of the prison awakened out of his sleep, and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself because he said, oh, they've all escaped, it's all over with for me. Supposing that the prisoners had been fled. <clears throat> but Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, do thyself no harm, for we are all here. We're all here. And then the man came believing and came trembling and shaking to the Lord and everything. And verse, I'm jumping down to verse 32 here to say to them, and they spake unto him the words of the Lord. This is Paul and Silas speaking unto the jailer and to his family. And spake unto him the word of the Lord unto all that were in his house. 
And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized he and all his straight way. Praise the Lord. He was converted because he was hungry for God. And here he knew this man was of God and I want what you've got. Folks, they're out there. They're out there in this old world. Praise the Lord. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing God with all his house. And I just want to just say one word here in this last paragraph, and I'm not quite through yet. There are many souls out there, out there in brackets, in parentheses, that's hungry for God, that's praying for answers, that's tired of a life of sin. We must reach them. That's our calling. That's our ministry. That's our mission. <clears throat> I remember a number of years ago, many years ago, we got out and started doing canvassing, knocking on doors. And it was a Saturday morning and inviting people to church and so forth. Our church was very small back then. And I remember going to this, up to this steps from this one house, knocking on the door. And the door opened and this African-American lady stood there looking at me. And I said, I'm uh, Pastor Myers and we're out knocking on doors and inviting me. She said, come in. Just that quick. Usually you don't say that. I, I said, okay. And I walked inside. And I went on talking. I said, we're inviting people to our church. And she just kept looking at me and everything. And she kept looking at me. And then she stopped me and she says, I was praying here in my house when you knocked on the door. And I have been praying and asking God to send somebody to tell me what I've got to do to be saved. She told me that her name was Delilah. Name was Delilah. And I said, I'll be glad. And I told her and I said, I want you to come to church. You're going to feel the presence of God. You're going to come down to the altar, lift your hands. God's going to fill you. With all. I told her everything that would happen to her. She came to church that Sunday. That was on Saturday. The next day she was in church. She had a little son, a little boy named Enos. And Enos came with her. And... Uh, she came to the altar, prayed through, got the Holy Ghost, baptized in Jesus' name, and walked with God and lived with the Lord in this church for about five years. And one day she said to me, Brother Myers, I've got to, I'm being transferred up to Washington, D.C. Is there a church up there that I can attend? I said, yes. So I got her lined up with a church up there. And her and Enos moved up to Washington, D.C., in a church up there, one of our apostolic churches, and I got her all lined up. Never saw her, never heard from her anymore. One day, years later, a tall, handsome African-American man walked in the church with a suit and tie on. And he walked up to me and he said, Brother Myers, I'm Enos. I was that little boy that my mother was praying and you came to the door and knocked on the door. And I'm Enos. I feel the Holy Ghost telling you about it. You've experienced things like this. I know some of you have. And he said, I'm Enos, and I just want to tell you how much I appreciate what you did in our lives and how we got started. I said, how is your mother? He said, she's still walking with God, still serving the Lord. We're all in the church up there. Everybody's doing great. We love God. And you know, folks, I'm just trying to tell you that's just an example of what God does. And he's out there working with people and helping them to come to the Lord and find the Lord. You never know what you're going to do by helping people. Sometimes they come our way. They come our way. We had a guy come here one time, 
driving down the road. His name was Lopez. Lopez came in the church. He said, and he sat in the church back there and preaching and went forth and so forth. And he came down to an altar. This is back when we were small. This has been many years ago again. He came down to the altar, started praying and crying, prayed through and received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, got baptized in Jesus' name, was so happy and rejoicing, living for God. said, God has spoken to him driving down the road and said, go into that church. And he came to me one day and said, Brother Myers, I got a lot of problems. I said, he was, he was a Puerto Rican kid and just a young teenage boy. I said, he said, I got a lot of problems. I said, what are they? He said, uh, I was in a Nazi party with some other teenage kids my age. Just wanted to belong to something. I wanted to be a part of something. They decided to firebomb a Jewish home, Jewish couple, elderly couple. And he said, we all made firebombs with these bottles. And we went to that house and he said, then we lit the fuse and we threw them into the house through the window, broke the window and it blew up inside and set the house fire and they put the fire out and we ran. I said, where are the other two guys? He said, they have just recently been sentenced to prison. They, between Somewhere between 5 and 15 years they got to serve. Now it's my turn to come up. He said, I have to tell you this, that when we went to throw those firebombs, he said, I never threw them in the house. I threw them out, threw mine out in the woods because I just couldn't see myself hurting those people. But I just was wanting to be part of something. And he said, my trial's coming up now. I said, when is it? He gave me the date and everything. And I said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to be there at your trial, and I'm going to tell our people to be there with you. And folks, when that day of that trial came, that church, that courtroom was packed out. That judge walked in and he looked back there and he saw that big crowd of all, all Pentecostal people sitting there, all in support of you. Nobody rabble rousing, nobody making a bunch of noise, nothing. We're all sitting there just very peaceful, very calm. And he had to come before the judge and everything. They heard the story about what he had done, the lawyer, the prosecuting attorneys. They did firebomb, they did this, that, everything. And then the judge said to him, do you have anything to say for yourself? And he said, judge, I would like to say something. And he went up on the seat and sat down. And he looked at those Jewish people and he says, I want you to know I have nothing against you at all. I just want to tell you. I was just looking for a crowd to run with. And he said that I actually threw my bottle out in the woods when I threw the bomb and he started crying. And he said, I just want to tell you that what's going to happen to me, I deserve it. I know I deserve it. But he said, you don't deserve what happened to you. And I just want to ask you to forgive me for what we did. Forgive me for what we did. I found God. These people out here are my friends now. They're my church people. That's the church I belong to. I went there and got saved. And I just want to let you know that God has come in my heart. And I'm so sorry about what I did. And I ask you to forgive me. The Jewish woman got up and went and walked up to the front. And she says, Your Honor, I want to forgive this young man for what he did. I see the sincerity of his heart. And as far as we're concerned, we are forgiving him for what happened that time, that way back there, several years, about, two, about a couple of years ago. I can't remember how I many, it was months or years, I don't know. Anyway, I forgive him. 
And the judge blinked his eyes. And he looked at that audience. I remember him looking back at me. And I'm sitting back in, in the back there, you know, with a suit and tie on and everything. He knows I'm a little different than the other. I got a, and he, he looks at me and he looks around that courthouse. He said, I'm going to take a recess here. Five-minute recess. Whack. He went out, went in the back room for five minutes, came back out, courts in order. And he said to the young man, this is a very unusual thing for me to do, but I am not going to sentence you. I am dismissing this case totally. You are a free man. You can go. Because of what this judge did. That guy went over and hugged those Jewish people. They hugged him. And he came back, and we came back, and he was back in the church, worshiping the Lord. He got married to a Puerto Rican girl. They moved to Miami. And I never saw him anymore for years. And years later, and they had a couple of children, and he came, came back here. And he came in this evening and said, Brother Myers, he said, I'm Lopez. I said, I just want to tell you who I was. I said, yeah, I think I remember you. How are you doing? He said, you won't believe what happened to me. He said, I got a job working as a contract with the Navy, U.S. Navy. And he said, I was a deep bell diver when it got in these big tanks and they went around very deep in the water. And he said, I have gone down in those bells all over the world. The government sent me all over the world to work for the Navy. I'm not in the Navy, but I work for the Navy. And I'm well paid for what I do. But it's all because of what you and your church did for me. And I was released from that obligation of being sentenced off to prison. If I had been sentenced, I'd have never had a job like this. But I want you to know I'm prosperous. I've got two grown teenage children now. God has been good to me, and I'm still living for God. I'm still walking on with the Lord. And folks, I'm here to tell you today that God has still got people out there. I don't know who they are. I don't know who they are. But they're out there. Praise the Lord. And God wants us to reach out to them. I remember years ago, I got to pray and said, God, how can we reach our area? How can we reach our community here? How can we do it? And he talked to me about teaching home Bible studies. And then he said, just anybody that'll let you go in their home. We'd go out and knock on the door and talk to them and everything. He said, you know, we'd like to teach your home Bible study. You don't have to join no church. You don't have to do anything. Just let us teach. Folks, I started teaching home Bible studies. Man, I was teaching home Bible. I was preaching Sunday morning, Sunday night. This is when I was still pastor, of course, back way back then. And I, and, I, and I was teaching on Wednesday night and every other night, Tuesday night. What is it? Two, third, third, Monday night, Tuesday night, Thursday, Friday nights. I was teaching home Bible studies in these homes. And I'm telling you, people started getting saved. And they'd say to me, can, can I get saved? Can I come to church again? You sure can. You know? And we'd say, we're not going to ask you to join the church. And then I'd come to pass. Oh, by the way, we're having revival this week. Why don't you come? Well, I think I will. Yeah, I've heard enough. You know, we're teaching, just teaching the whole Bible study, talking to them about salvation, about the, the Lord, the Word of God. And folks, we started winning people to the Lord. There's a lot of you that were one to the Lord that way. You came, into the, came to the church that way. There are many of you that's not here that will one to the Lord that way. That church began to grow. Praise the Lord. Pretty soon, I had a bunch of people that was new converts, and they hardly understood the doctrine. I thought, I got I to stop and take a place for that I can teach them. 
how to live for God, how to walk with God, praise the Lord, how to live a holy life, praise the Lord, how to please God in all that you do, you know, and, and so forth. I'm just trying to tell you here, they're out there. They're still out there. Oh, God, put it on our hearts. God, move us. God, shake us, Lord. And I want you to begin to pray and say, God, lead me to somebody that wants to find the Lord. Help me to be a soul winner. And I'll guarantee you that somebody is out there that's looking, that's hungry. Somebody that you can witness to. Somebody that you would understand them. Where they are, where they're coming from. You see, everybody doesn't understand everybody. Because some people have come from different backgrounds than somebody else. But you understand certain people and certain backgrounds that they may be from. And you can help them. And the Lord is letting us know there's an unborn church out there, folks. And God still wants to save them just like he saved us. And way back there when we started teaching home Bible studies, some of you were part of that unborn church out there. But now you are in the church and you're part of the kingdom of God with the hope of heaven looking for the coming of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And that knowing that we have eternal life. God love you. Praise the Lord. Let's stand together. Let's just thank him and praise him together and worship God. Hallelujah. Jesus, we love you so much. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you for your presence. <coughs> thank you for the power of God. Thank you for the hope that you've given us, Jesus. Lord, bless this congregation. Let every soul, every soul in this congregation here tonight, Lord, let them begin to reach out into this world, God, and find somebody that they can teach, talk to, help, win them to Christ, Lord, that they may know you and live for you and serve you, Lord, all the days of their lives. And one of these days, praise the Lord, we'll see them in heaven. We'll be all be around your throne. And we'll all sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We who were nobodies, you will have made us to be somebody forever and forever. Oh, hallelujah. Everybody said praise the Lord. God bless you. Hallelujah. You've been a good audience here tonight. You're dismissed in Jesus' name. Everybody shake hands. God love you.